I'm going to try to finish it, but also try not to rush too much. Verses 1 to 9, there is a destructive decree. Verses 10 to 17, there's a den of lions. In verses 18 to 28, there is deliverance and damnation. Um, My pastor used to preach out of this particular chapter, and he had a really good sermon called The Gospel According to Daniel. And from this chapter, you're going to see a number of, of pictures and types of Christ as, as we go through it. So we'll point those things out as we go. But in so many ways, you do see the death, burial, and resurrection of, of Christ here. Now, verse number one, it says, It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom. Remember that at the end of chapter five, Babylon fell. And now the Medians and the Persians have come in. Darius is establishing his government, and he sets up 120 princes. Now, that might sound like a lot of to, to govern. So 120, I have no idea exactly how many people he was governing. Verse number two, it says, over these three presidents. I just, there I came back. Verse two, over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them, and the king should have no damage. So Darius, as any good leader should do, has, has <clears throat> put a nice structure in. So you don't just throw princes into the mix and say, you guys figure it out as you go. You have princes, and then over them you have presidents, and then over them you have the king, and there's an authority structure. Things that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, we should do things decently and in order. This is how God created the universe. There is order instead of chaos. And it doesn't matter if you're talking about your home, your workplace, your school, your country, or your church. There needs to be a proper authority structure. Now, it says over these, verse 2, over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first. Now, I don't know if that means first as in when the king had a question, he went to Daniel first, like he was the head of those three presidents, or if he was the first one to be appointed, like the king's first choice. Either way, it kind of works out to be the same. But you're going to see he got promoted. In verse 3, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was found in him. And the king fought to set him over the whole realm. So Daniel is the first of the three presidents, right? He's the top dog, if you will. Then the king says, you're doing such a good job. I'm going to promote you above the position of president I'm going to make you a co-regent. You can think of this as a little king. So Darius is still the king, but then Daniel is at the right hand type of thing. You're right up there as a co-regent over the whole realm. So now he's getting promoted. Daniel's getting used to this, right? And the reason is because of this excellent spirit that was in him. So I don't know if any of you are interested much in politics, but the question has come up on occasion. Can a Christian, or let's just say a believer, a Bible-believing, God-fearing man, woman, can he or she be involved in politics? Daniel is. Daniel is. It is possible, although I think we can all say amen to this, very rare, you can have an upstanding moral person involved in politics. Now, the problem is, as soon as you find that guy society will throw him in a den (laughs) and lock him away. Somehow he gets blamed and, you know, trumped up charges get made against him. But nevertheless, Daniel, he is of an excellent spirit. Why? Because he fears God. 
And, and because he fears God, he's going to genuinely try to help the people that he is over. Right? And that doesn't, it doesn't matter if you're the boss at work, if you're the president of the country, if you're the pastor of the church, if you have an excellent spirit and you are in a position of leadership, you care about the people under you and you want to try to do them right. Daniel, remember, is Jewish. He has now been promoted to the head of a Gentile kingdom. I like that because it shows you it doesn't matter. You don't have to be one of those people in order to govern those people well. There's no discrimination or racism in Daniel's heart. He's not bearing a grudge against these people who, 70 years prior, right, Babylon wiped out his people. Now Darius and Cyrus, they've come in and wiped out the Babylonians. Daniel had been promoted under the Babylonian system. Daniel did not grow bitter at all the political chaos. Whatever position he found himself in, he made the most of it. And I would encourage you to do the same. Verse number four, then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel. Uh, It says concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault. Now they're, they're looking for a reason to, looking for an accusation, looking for something to charge him with because they can see how quickly he's being promoted. And they're envious of him. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. The chief rulers, the scribes, the priests, the elders of the people. The reason they stirred up the multitude and got the multitude to say, away with him, crucify him. The reason they did that, the Bible says, was for envy. Jesus was becoming more and more popular. And Jesus was an upstanding moral figure. And other people that are not upstanding and moral... They know deep down. They have a conscience. They can see that other guy doing it right, and they know they're not, and they get envious of it. And rather than, can I say, lift their game, rather than than raise their game to match that, they try to bring that other person down to their level. Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom. Right? let's, Let's see if he's taken a bribe, broken a law, and he hadn't. But they could find none occasion nor fault. For as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. You know what happened when Jesus came before Pilate? They, they made accusations. This man said, don't pay taxes. This man's making himself a king and says, we shouldn't follow Caesar, follow him. No, none of those accusations were true. Jesus had taught otherwise. He was, he was all for paying taxes. Amen. You should be, you should be all for paying your taxes. Okay, I'll take that zero amen as, <laughs> as an indicator that I just said something you needed to hear. But in any event, Pilate is now charged with finding fault in Jesus. And as Pilate examines Jesus three times, he comes to this conclusion. I find no fault in him. I, he couldn't find a political fault. He couldn't find a spiritual fault. Moral fault, nothing. I find, and, and, and amen to this day, I say, I find no fault in him. Verse number five, then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against Daniel except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Now, this does not mean to say that they are experts in Jewish law and now they're going to examine the law and examine Daniel's life and find that he sinned. Obviously, Daniel has sinned. I mean, that's, that's not really in question here. When they say we're going to find something against him concerning the law of his God, the only way 
that they think they can trip Daniel up. And it's true, they're right. We need to sign into existence a law that would create a, a contradiction for Daniel to where he has to choose, do I follow the king or do I follow God? This is a very New Testament situation, right? Hold your place here and come over to Acts chapter 4. They knew if, if we sign into law, if we legislate something that says, Daniel, you're not allowed to worship your God. You're not, in this case, you're not allowed to pray. They knew Daniel is going to choose God over the king. That's a great testimony. They knew this guy's faithful. And not just when it's easy. We know Daniel's going to do what's right. Doesn't matter what weekend it is. Doesn't matter what the date on the calendar is. It doesn't matter what the political situation. He's going to do what's right by his God. Acts chapter 4. Look at what the disciples in the early church stood for. Verse number 16. These big shots in the Jewish council speaking amongst themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men, to the apostles? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. So if I might just quickly preach for a moment and ask you this question, why are you obeying the Jewish high council? <laughs> I mean, that's, that was the, the Jewish Sanhedrin said, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. Don't mention his name. Why are so many Christians obeying that? The command that Jesus gave was after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you receive power to be witnesses unto me. He, he comes to make us to be fishers of men, Right? Amen. I mean, you could sit there quiet all you want, but that is an amen moment because that's true. If, if something true is said, you, it's good if you agree with that. Somebody's phone agreed with that. Verse 18, they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. Peter puts it right back on him and says, all right. You're asking me to do something that God told me, how can I say, you're asking me not to do something God told me to do. So you tell me, what should I do, obey you or God? What do you want me to do? Now when you make it that clear, right, when you make it that clear, it's hard to go against that logic. I'm always going to choose the higher authority. Obviously I'm going to obey God. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. These apostles walked with Christ for three and a half years. They, they met the, re the resurrected Lord. Amen. If you're saved, you have met the resurrected Lord. You have the Holy Ghost inside of you bearing witness. You know the power of Christ dwelling in you. You know that. How can you stay quiet? Why would you obey men instead of God? Now in South Africa, praise God, we have freedom to preach the gospel. Right? There are no civil laws against our faith. We are allowed to assemble this morning. Praise the Lord. We can sing. We can pray. We can preach. After the service, if you want to go hand out gospel tracts and talk to people about the Lord, you can. You're not going to break any civil laws in so doing. But 
you will break some social laws. There are some laws, just unwritten laws of society that says, hey, religion's a private thing. Keep that to yourself. This isn't the kind of thing you approach people with and talk to them about. Who made that rule up? That there's a rule maybe society has, but then there's a rule that God gave. It says, I want you to speak that which you've seen and heard. If you know the Lord, you need to go tell somebody else about the Lord. The reason people get scared to break that social law is because they'll be thrown into that metaphorical den of lions. <laughs> You'll become the focal point of society's hatred, and you're that guy. You're that lady. And as soon as you enter the room, people start to, oh no, they're going to bring it up again. <laughs> they won't even make eye contact with you. And you're afraid to be a social leper. But not Daniel. Faithful. You make up whatever law you want. But, but Daniel is aware of what God desires. Come back to Daniel chapter 6. Verse number 6. So the plan has been made, and now they're going to begin to execute it. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. Just common expression of, of uh, honor. Verse 7, all the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, what is the job of the president, presidents and princes? The reason they exist, it is an authority structure to protect, to protect the king from military revolts, tax evasion, political scams, insider political mutiny, fraud, things like that. So these men are tasked with making sure no damage comes to the king. So the way this can be sold, right? You might read that and go, how could anybody sign that? Why, why would the king be deceived by that? Because he pays these guys to protect the king from uprisings, from insurrection. So now they come and say, king, we've heard rumblings that somebody is going to use religion as a means of coming against you and your, your kingship, your authority. So let's just nip that in the bud. Let's put a law in there for 30 days just to protect ourselves that no one can make a request of any other deity just of you. And that way we funnel all of the attention and honor just to you and we will solidify and, and, and unite the kingdom in this way. Because guys, if you're familiar with history at all, you know that many, many times when somebody's trying to achieve a political goal, they will use religion to do it. They rally the people in the name of whatever God they have to, a, to accomplish a secular political goal. So now the people here, they're using this religious idea. King, you, you are above just normal humans. Let's have everybody come to you with their needs. And this will calm things down. So the king, thinking, I can trust these guys. That's why I pay them. That's why I appointed them. And because they've said the presidents, the governors, the princes... Where's Daniel in this? The king just assuming Daniel's on board. But, verse 8, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. 
That is to say, once they sign, once the king signs it in, and this was true in many kingdoms in this day, once the king signs it, it is immutable. It cannot be changed. Not even the king himself can go back on what he has signed in as a decree. You see this in the book of Esther. If, those, if you've gotten that far in your Bible reading, Ahasuerus signed a decree that said, kill all the Jews on the 13th day of the 12th month. And then when Esther exposes the plan, it's in Haman is this wicked one trying to do it. He knows, Esther knows, I, I can't just nullify what I signed in. So then he has to sign a second law that says, okay, on that day, when everybody's allowed to kill the Jews, the Jews are also allowed to stand up and protect themselves. And, and because of that second law, the Jews actually did stand up, self-defense, and, and they won that battle. But that, that's what uh, Darius is facing here. Now, verse number nine, wherefore King Darius signed the writing and the decree, just assuming that everything should be fine. This is for his own good. Now, verse number 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. I got to be careful on this because there's a whole hour's worth of preaching just from verse number 10. So let me begin with just a couple of easy thoughts here. Right at the end of the verse, as he did aforetime. Don't wait until things get really desperate to start taking prayer this seriously. Daniel had a habit of going to God in prayer. Do you see that? He'd been kneeling and opening the window and praying to God three times a day for God only knows how many years. This was what he did. I hope that's also true of you. Jesus, when he taught us about prayer, he said, but when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, shut the door, talk to the Father in secret. He didn't say if thou prayest. He said when thou prayest. This should just be normal for you and I as believers. As he did aforetime. Uh, hold your place here. Get 1 Kings chapter 8. Why would he open his windows towards Jerusalem? What, what difference would that make? Let's get 1 Kings chapter 8. In this chapter, Solomon is dedicating the temple. And he has knelt before the altar. He's knelt before the altar and now he's praying. Asking God to remember him and the Jews. Somebody else's phone is agreeing with that. Asking God to remember him and the Jews for various reasons. Look, come down to verse 46. 1 Kings 8, 46. If they sin against thee, for there is no man that sinneth not, and thou be angry with them and deliver them to the enemy, that is what happened to the Jews. They sinned, and they got delivered over to the Babylonians, now to the media Persians, right? So verse 46, so that they carry them away captives unto the land of the enemy far or near. Well, that's where Daniel finds himself. Verse 47, yet if they shall bethink themselves in the land, whither they were carried captives, and repent, and make supplication unto thee in the land of them that carried them captives, saying, we have sinned, we have done perversely, we have committed wickedness, and so return unto thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies, which led them away captive, and pray unto thee toward their land, 
which thou gavest unto their fathers, the city which thou hast chosen, and the house which I have built for thy name. Then hear thou their prayer and their supplication in heaven, thy dwelling place, and maintain their cause and forgive, and on it goes. So this is why Daniel opens the window three times the day and prays towards Jerusalem because that's where the temple once stood. Daniel is now almost 500 years removed from Solomon's prayer, but he still knows and believes the validity of it, that Solomon asked God to honor this, and God did answer Solomon, said, I will honor this. So that's why you see Daniel praying the way he does. It's not going to help you or I to go back and pray as Daniel and point towards a certain direction, right? You, you can point any direction you want because the Holy Spirit is here and there and in every direction, okay? You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. So, yeah, I mean, if you really wanted to pray properly, I guess you just do this here. Because <laughs> you, you're, you're right there. You're the temple, all right? So Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10, a little bit more we need to say about this still. Forgive me. I want you to come to Psalm 55. I Continue to hold Daniel 6, but I want to show you why three times a day. Why is that a significant number? Psalm 55 and get verse number 16. Psalm 55 and verse 16. And David says here, as for me, I will call upon God and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Do you see the three times a day? Daniel has based his prayer life off of the Bible. See that? He has the scriptures that tell us what Solomon prayed. He has the scriptures that tell us how David prayed, and now Daniel is using the Bible to give shape to his prayer life. I hope you do the same. If I can give you some advice, if you've never tried this, go home and try it. Go home, shut the door to whatever prayer closet you have, whatever closed area, private area you can find, and get a Bible. Open it up, read and pray. Read and pray. And spend some time with your Bible in prayer. And, and, and use it. Let it give your, your prayer structure. You talk a little while and then fall quiet. Let God talk a little while. And just see what happens with that. Come back to Daniel 6 now. Let me show you something else about this verse. It says towards the end there, kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks. Now, let that sink in for a moment. Under these circumstances, he is giving thanks. They just signed a decree that says, if you do, Daniel, what you're doing, you're going to die a very ugly death, ripped to pieces by hungry, angry lions. Lions do not like being kept in a den. <laughs> you're going to be thrown in there. He gets down before his God and says, thank you, Lord. Wait a minute, Daniel, you've been 70 years in the enemy's land. Thank you, Lord. Daniel, you were made a eunuch. You never got married. You never had kids. Thank you, Lord. Daniel, you've been despised by the Babylonians. They, the king didn't recognize 
what you were doing with and for God. Thank you, Lord. He just thanked his God. Under these circumstances, that's saying something. That's saying something. The Bible tells us in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This week, how much have you thanked God? Compared to how much you've complained. That's enough preaching. (laughs) No, maybe not. I got one more thing for you. So, verse 10 at the beginning, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he knew about it. That was not enough to stop him from praying. What would it take to get you to stop praying? What would stop you from praying? Well, for a lot of folks, let me just list off a few things I think that might stop them from praying. I woke up a bit late. I didn't feel like it. I just wasn't in the mood. I'd rather watch a show. There's something really good on TV. The rugby. There's a cricket match. The springbokker. You know what I've heard? Why don't you pray? I don't know what to say. You don't know what to say to God. Okay, fair enough. Perhaps you're new to prayer. Then just listen. Just kneel down and listen for a while. God has plenty to say. Lots and lots to say. Here's why some people, what stops them from praying? They just forgot. They woke up and they weren't thinking about God and God was not in all their thoughts and, and it just slipped their mind that day or maybe that week. Work has been tough lately. I've heard that one. Have you been praying about it? Well, work's been tough. Should that be a reason to pray? Why haven't you prayed lately? Well, I just feel depressed. I just feel down. I just don't feel worthy. All the more reason to pray. I've often thought we should try that thing, what Jesus did, where he he told people, don't tell anyone what I've done for you. And then they go and do it anyway. Maybe that's the trick. Maybe we should sign a law that says you're not allowed to pray. And then the rebellious nature of your flesh would go, that's it, I'm going to (laughs) pray. We, we've, we've tried everything else. Let's, let's try that. Now, obviously, I'm being sarcastic. Don't, don't pray out of rebellion. <laughs> Perhaps a better question would be this. Let's not say what would it take to stop you from praying, but what would it take to start you praying? What would it take? How serious, how bad, how drastic, how traumatic do things need to get before you take prayer seriously? Verse 11, Daniel 16, 11, then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. These men knew right where to find him. They didn't have to look. They didn't have to search here and there in town. They knew right where to find him. Three times in the day, we know he's going to be right there. Why? He was a faithful man. And they knew, doesn't matter if it's going to cost him his life, he's going to pray. How about you? Do we know where to find you? Do we know that, hey, there's a schedule, 
And at a certain time of the day, especially a certain day of the week, we know we'll find you there praying. Well, it'll be hit and miss for a lot of folks. I'd, I'd probably check somewhere else rather than the prayer closet or a church meeting where we're praying, a prayer meeting. Daniel was a faithful guy, dependable. Verse 12, then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. So now they're, can I say, playing dumb a little bit. They're, they're going to ask almost a rhetorical question. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Well, yes, they know that he has, and the king know, knows it too. This, this is just the most respectful way to say, nah, 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 Daniel went to pray. I mean, that's, you know, that's what they're actually saying. But the king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians which altereth not. So yes, that's the fact. Verse 13, Then answered they and said before the king that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition uh, petition three times a day. So king, Daniel's blown right past you. He's taken you lightly. He, He thought you were a nobody and went straight to his God. Verse 14, then the king, when he, had heard, or when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. What you read about Darius is also true of Pilate. When, when they sent Jesus to Pilate, he said, where are you from? Galilee. Oh, I don't want to judge you. Send him to Herod. And then Herod tried to get something out of Jesus. Jesus wouldn't say anything. Herod mocks him, sends him back to Pilate. Now Pilate's stuck with Jesus again. And then the more Pilate talks to Jesus, the more he realizes this this is a good guy. This is an innocent man. And he's probably the son of God, exactly as he claims to be. So what do I do? The people remind him, what about this Barabbas thing? Didn't you always give us a choice? And and Pilate says, oh yes, there's, okay. This is a no-brainer. Barabbas or Jesus? And the people cry out, Barabbas! Pilate is dumbstruck. He's trying his best to get Jesus out of this sticky situation, but the people cried out for Barabbas. And he says, wait a minute, you want a thief, a robber, an insurrectionist, and a murderer more than the king of of the Jews? Give us Barabbas. Okay. He says, what can I try next? Soldiers, come here. Bind him. Go whip him. And they whipped Jesus with that cat of nine tails until there wasn't much left of him. Brought him back, that bloody mess, standing in front of the people, wrapped in that robe that they mocked him with, and Pilate proclaims to all the people, Behold the man! Look! You know what he's doing? He's trying to satisfy their bloodlust. Look, I've beaten him within an inch of his life. Isn't that enough for you? And he says, behold the man. And they cry out, away with him. Crucify him. Pilate tried and tried to get Jesus out of it. Finally, he says, the Bible actually says he sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you let this man go, you're no friend of Caesar's. He says, because this man spoke against Caesar, making himself a king. Which wasn't true. 
Pilate was deathly afraid to become an enemy of Caesar. So he chose rather to be an enemy of Christ. Even though he knew Christ was innocent, he tried and tried to get him out of it, and he couldn't. Just like Darius, tried and tried, but he just couldn't get him out. Verse 16, then the king commanded, forgive me, I'll read verse 15, forgive me. Then these men assembled unto the king and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. Then the king commanded, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. Isn't that something? Darius had more faith in Daniel's God than a lot of Christians do. There's nothing that indicates Darius was a believer, as, as we would know a believer, but he figured, Daniel's God and everything I've heard about him, surely he's big enough to get Daniel out of this. And he is. Verse number 17, and a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. So what they would do is pour hot wax on it. And then take the king's ring, which had that signet, that, that symbol, and press it into the hot wax. And that way you, you knew this rock, this stone, has been sealed by order of the king. And no one is allowed to break that seal then unless by order by the king. You do remember this part of the story with Jesus, right? They put him in the tomb, and just to protect ourselves, put the stone and seal it. The Bible says in Matthew 27, they made the sepulcher uh, sure, the grave, Sealing the stone, setting a watch. That's exactly what you have here. It's the gospel according to Daniel. This is matching the death and the burial in a a picture. Verse number 18, then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting. So he lost his appetite, didn't want to eat. Neither were instruments of music brought before him and his sleep went from him. So back in the day, it was common. It's a sleep aid. You turn some music on. Of course, he didn't have a radio, so he brought the musicians into, you know, to, you know <laughs> whatever violin or whatever it was, and off he went to sleep. I don't know about you, I, I, I tried music for a while. That, what works for me is what we got going here, these fans. I have an app on my phone that sounds like a fan. <clears throat> so this is dangerous. When I hear these fans, it tells my body is nap time, right? <laughs> I'm up here going, oh boy, oh boy, this is comfortable. (laughs) So the king didn't even want instruments of music. He was so depressed, so anxious, so nervous about what he had done. Verse number, he couldn't sleep. Verse 19, then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continue, continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? It's undoubtedly dark down there, and you know he, he's calling out. He, he can't just see what's going on, so he calls out. Can you imagine the look on Darius' face when he hears verse number 21? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. <laughs> I'm sure Daniel said it with such an upbeat. Hey, king. Oh, man, I slept good. Oh, you know, because here come these lions. They, they, Daniel goes down. The lions are coming at him, and, and the angel of the Lord steps in and goes, Hey, Simba, sit down. <laughs> Lay down. Good kitty. 
And, and Daniel, Daniel, Daniel just walks over and starts petting the lion, you know. That lion just sits down, starts licking Daniel. <laughs> and, and, and Daniel just says, okay, boys, uh, just, just, okay, little to the left, little, oh, there you go, okay. He has one lion for a pillow, another for a footrest, you know. And he just has a beautiful night's rest while the king is up there going, oh, oh I'm killing an innocent man. What am I going to do? O king, live forever, verse 22. My God hath sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouths. And they have not hurt me. For as much as before him innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. So he said, King, can I give a word of testimony? <laughs> I didn't do anything wrong to God or to you, and this is the evidence of it. You know, the evidence that Jesus was a sinless man is that he rose up out of the grave. The Bible says in the book of Acts it was not possible that death could hold him. Why? Because the, the wages of sin is death. Jesus never sinned, so it, was, it wasn't possible. You can stick him in the grave, boop, he's just going to keep popping up. Boop. <laughs> he's just going to keep coming up because there's no sin in him. Verse 23, then was the king exceeding glad for him. You know, you ought to be exceeding glad that your Savior rose from the grave because it was your sins that put him there. This was Darius' fault. He never should have signed that decree. Shame on you, Darius. Man, praise God, he rose back up. That, oh, I'm so relieved. <laughs> then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. They examined him, not one tooth mark, not one claw mark, perfectly clean. When Jesus came out of the ground, you know what? He, he, he told him, look, he still had his scars. But he also allowed them to examine him. Say, see, evidence that it is the same me that went into the ground. This, I, this is not just a look-alike. Here's the holes. You can put it in and see. But an examination was made. Now, with Daniel's case, a little different here. They had to roll the stone away so Daniel could come out. Not with Jesus. Jesus got out before they rolled the stone away. The Bible says in Matthew, the angel came down, rolled the stone away. Jesus had already risen and left the grave. He left the tomb. They rolled the stone away so that everybody could see that it was empty. Just for evidence, you see, he's not here, he's risen. So verse number 24, and the king commanded and they brought those men which had accused Daniel and they cast them into the den of lions, them and their children and their wives. And the lions had the mastery of them. They hadn't eaten all night. They were hungry. And break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. They didn't even hit the ground. That shows you how vicious those lions were. If God pulls his hand back and doesn't protect you, that's what life will do to you. It will devour you and won't even let you hit the ground. It's only by the grace of God that, you're, that you've made it this far. <laughs> These men are getting what they deserve. Now you say, but isn't this a bit drastic? This is their wives and their children. This is not God telling Darius to do this. This is Darius doing this. And he's setting an example to say, listen, if you try to get tricky with me again, this is what, you're not only going to destroy yourself, you're taking your whole family down with you. So he's making an example of these men. I'm not saying this was the right thing to do, but that's the reason that he would have done that. But on a practical note, when I just say men... If I can talk to you for a moment, be real careful the decisions you make because what you do, it could sink your entire family. It is going to have an effect 
on your family. You take that job or you go do this thing or take that bribe under the table or meet with that. All of those choices are going to impact the people around you, not just you. So be mindful of that. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote unto all people and nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and steadfast forever, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall, eat, uh, shall be even unto the end. Darius is acknowledging the greatness of Daniel's God. Let's be careful here. Darius is commanding that everybody fears and trembles at Daniel's God, the God of the Bible. He's not commanding that Daniel's God be exclusively worshipped. So people are still allowed to worship other gods, but they cannot make fun of, disregard, or take lightly the God of Daniel. They have to show proper respect. And, and I think what Darius is doing is protecting himself from what just happened. He just was tricked into signing a decree, a temporary 30-day decree. Now he's signing a permanent decree. Nobody can, can fail to show respect to that God. And this is kind of to protect himself and everybody for that matter. Verse 27, he delivereth and rescueth. He's just describing Daniel's God. He, he delivers and rescues and works signs and wonders in heaven and in earth who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So Darius is... To whatever extent, we're not sure, but he's familiar with what Daniel's God can do. Are you? Are you? Do you know the ways that he can save, rescue, the miracles he can do, heaven, earth? Do, do you know about your God? Darius does, to an extent. In verse 28, so this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Darius is over the Medes, Cyrus is over the Persians, but this gives us some backstory as to why things went so good for Daniel during those reigns. It wasn't because he was a political genius. It was because he was steadfast and would not compromise on his God. He stood for his, he was faithful at his personal relationship with the Lord. All right, Father, thank you this morning for allowing us to cover these things and so much that we can learn from Daniel's strong and wonderful example. We thank you for the living God that you are. You do rescue and deliver and work wonders. And Lord, we pray that you might continue to work amongst us this morning. Bless our fellowship and the preaching to come.